0: Welcome to the Spent the Rent podcast. I am your host, Patty Rose. My guest today is an applicant for the vacant Eugene City Council seat in Ward 7, Daniel Isaacson. Daniel, welcome to the show. Hey, how are you? I'm doing good. Thank you so much for doing this. It's Black Friday, so uh, we had talked about doing this a while ago, and this is my first free weekend since uh, the forum. Let me talk about that a little bit, and then we'll get into why we're here. So the Eugene Tenants, Tenants Association hosted a candidate forum at Alluvium. And uh, yourself and Huel Aboa were the two candidates that, at that time, had thrown their name in the hat. It was pretty early in this process. Uh, It was a very substantive forum. Ultimately, you were the victor of the straw poll at that event, and those results were given to the council as a recommendation. Uh, Huel Aboa has since removed his name from consideration, but there are now nine more applicants, one of whom is my good friend Thomas, uh, Thomas Chida. Shout out to Thomas. And on or around December 12th, there will be a vote by the city council to declare the new appointment for the seat vacated by the recent recall. I wanted to have you on because I was impressed with your passion for the city of Eugene. And though this is not an endorsement, I live in Springfield anyway, I wanted to give a chance to chat with you about who, you know, what got us here. So first of all, let's talk about who you are and why you decided to throw your name in the applicant pool. So in your words, who is Daniel Isaacson?
1: Uh, I mean, that's a long it's a long question I I, I grew up in, in Oregon I grew up in Southern Oregon um, and uh, moved to Eugene went to school here moved to Chicago and I came back uh, from Chicago uh, kind of chasing a, a dream and a chance to come back home um, I basically tried to get back to Grand, uh, get back to Oregon the minute I left um, and I was probably way too... Um, trusting in, in the people that i i kind of connected up with to, to come back home and so it's it's created a, a fairly large um, hole and burden for me to, to kind of climb out of but also gave me a, a different direction and path in my life um, that's focused on mental health care and um, suicide prevention and, and advocacy in that in that realm that really hadn't had a whole lot of of uh, people with big mouths and microphones to, to talk about it so that's that's where I've tried to make a difference as best i can
0: yeah, at that forum, which was really neat, I had no idea what I was doing. Kevin Cronin organized it, and and among uh, – there's other people involved, but Kevin was uh, definitely one of the main people you know, pushing for that event. He asked me if I wanted to co-host, and I said I don't even – I wasn't clear with what he was even trying to put together. And he's like, this is going to be good. You can just host, which means you'll introduce the moderators, and then you can get out of the way, and then you'll know, and then next time you'll be more helpful. And I was like, he was so, it's so incredible in Eugene how there's that reality, how it's like, I want you to be part of this. And you're like, well, I don't know how. And they're like, well, then just hang out like an pr- <laughs> apprentice. And then the next time you'll learn more and then, you know, give it five years and you'll be the one hosting these events. I hope they
1: do this. I hope they do that all the time for, for every, every race going forward. I, was, I never saw those before. So that was great. It was a it, was a,
0: it was a amazing event considering how i mean we had you were in person and huel aboa was uh remote i think he was in texas doing work yeah so he was on this this big movie screen (laughs) and you were on stage and i mean if you were there it 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 was pretty wild to watch oh no i think that there's going to be a lot of those kind of forums and i'd like to host some as well now we're going to talk a little bit later about uh what happened with the recall in your words and I'll, you know, we'll talk about that a little bit and why we're here, but basically for anybody that's completely unaware, uh, there has been a recall in ward seven, uh, a bunch, they had to get enough signatures and then there was a vote and then they, in they, and and the vote was just for that ward. Is that correct? That part. Okay. So the people in that area of Eugene voted to remove, uh, Claire Surrette. Is am I saying that right? Yep. Yeah. So like I said, I wanted to get into stuff first. And then we'll come back around and we'll talk about that. So you had mentioned uh, two areas, uh, you know, working with uh, mental health and working with suicide prevention. Uh, Shout out to Sarah Schofield. She's been on my show multiple times and and she, she works tirelessly with suicide prevention. So let's break down each one at a time. So let's start with NAMI. First of all, NAMI stands for National Alliance of Mental Health. You're the president of the Lane County chapter. Tell me about NAMI, what it is NAMI does, and, you know, why that work is so important.
1: So NAMI is the National Alliance on Mental Illness, and it's the largest grassroots uh, mental health advocacy group in the country. Um, and here in Lane County, especially. And so while some NAMI chapters actually provide Direct patient care or client care. We don't do that. Um, We provide a a good resource for folks who are trying to learn about particular mental illnesses, find other people who have kind of shared experiences um, and a pathway for either um, yourself or a loved one. Um, So, for example, if you have someone in your family who's diagnosed with bipolarism, it's a great opportunity to come and read from the library about what it is, maybe join a support group for other family members, or if you're suffering from from a, a particular reflection um, it allows you a really non-threatening way to to kind of flush that out um, and really bring down and, and dismantle the stigma around mental illness. Um, it's a bizarre notion that we have in this country that that we treat every other body part in our in our system as as flesh and water and, and meat and that can go bad and treat it with medicine but suddenly the, the gray matter between our ears, if it starts to have an issue, we, we blame people for having it um, or pretend that it doesn't exist. It's it's just a totally bizarre, um, you know, scenario. So um, that's, that's where I kind of wanted to focus on my, um, on my journey with um, uh, my friend's passing and um, and make that my, my life cause.
0: And that kind of segues into the suicide prevention stuff. You're talking about losing a loved one. You know what yeah. is it that made that specific? I mean, you know. Well, first of all, with Nami, before we move on, yeah, can you get into a little more depth about what is it that that I mean? Is it something people can reach out to them if they're having issues? What What is it that Nami seeks to do?
1: Nami seeks to be the 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 focal point for the conversations regarding mental illness in in our county. So, um, it provides um, a gateway for people who are themselves afflicted or family members to have some other connection to other people, um, and to know where to go, um, with, with their, I with their you. thoughts or concerns or questions. Um, again, we don't do patient care, so okay. it's not a, it's not a scenario where you can come in and, and, and be treated by a psychologist, for example, but there's
0: resources, I'm sure, on the website of where you could go yeah, and that kind of stuff. Sure. And I love the idea of, of for family members. I think it's obviously when, you know, the patient themselves, there's, there's the issues there. But then as far as for family members, it's not just with mental health. It's with things that are surrounded, surrounding mental health, like alcoholism, drug abuse, those kind of things yeah. that, that a lot of times people just need to know there's support systems in place. And so it's probably, you know, just I'm sure that on NAMI's website, there's resources to all that. So that's great. Now your yeah. work, uh, you're the co-chair of the Suicide Prevention Coalition, and let's let's talk about that a little bit. Uh, and yeah. and I mean, again, Sarah Schofield is I think involved. I don't know if that's specific. It is that coalition, correct? She's, yeah, yeah, She's, she's, she's
1: one co was the first people I met um, when I when I joined in 2018. Yeah. Um, I I joined it after my my friend um, uh, died by suicide. Um, he was uh, my best friend. I'd known him since high school um, and he died in a very public way. It was a officer involved shooting. Um, And, you know, we, we didn't, I didn't know near as much as I do now. I mean, I I tell people all the time, I I'm not an expert in mental health, but I am an expert in my own story. I was there and um, how we all processed his death um, in the, minutes and hours and weeks and months and years afterward um was incredibly unhealthy um and um it led us to tip which i can talk about in a little bit but you know when you have press calling you on your phone minutes after you've been told that he's died you have to clean up the crime scene yourself you have to call his kids and let them know that that, that their father is dead uh his parents uh wage quite and get and get really awkward questions because when you when you have a friend who or a family member who's who's passed away from cancer the first reaction that people give you is empathy right it's oh my god i'm so sorry right if you have somebody who's passed from an officer involved shooting the first thing you get is judgment uh you get people saying well what do you do right and so ultimately what happens is that you just from exhaustion you you you, you try to alter the story a little bit or massage the the, the, the details just because you don't want to go into it with every person who, who talks to you about it, right? And then you do this cycle of guilt in your head that I am I being true to his story by um, and to him by numbing it. Um, and am I a bad friend for doing that. So there's like this constant self guilt that, that just recycles in your life forever. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's a, just an absolutely horrible experience. I wouldn't wish it on, on anybody.
0: Well, and I think um, that with suicide, I think there's a lot of uh, people have strong opinions as defense mechanisms. You know, sometimes people want to sure. look at it like it's a revenge act or it's a, it's you're hurting the people that are left, which, I mean, that may be true, but that doesn't mean that it was an intentional act to hurt those people in the moment. You know, we don't know sure. what's going through somebody's head. Yeah, that I mean, suicide, I've personally, uh, my mom had... I've been very vocal about this on my podcast my mom had multiple attempts uh to take her own life when i was a kid and uh she died you know suddenly and a year before she died she had another attempt and then when she finally did pass it was uh from uh, like a brain aneurysm or a heart attack as we didn't do an autopsy because to me i was like i already knew that this was coming like regardless of why she died you know and i know that in those moments like you talk about media and even people's uh, curiosity they want to know how they want to know the details of the grizzly stuff and i don't know yeah. what why necessarily it's that's not the story that's not really what the the person's life was about not the last 10 seconds of their life you know there was so much more to it so i've been very vocal about that and then as far as mental health i mean i haven't really outwardly said this yet but i recently got on anxiety medication for the first time which is something that has been extremely beneficial to me. And I'm lucky because I've heard that you have to try to take 10 different, you know, four different things before you might find the right one. And I think that what I'm doing is real mild. It's a serotonin booster because I've had so many years of having, just being hard on myself that it's, I've, I've, I've not been able to produce the proper levels of serotonin. At least that's where we're at with it now. Cause I mean, this is the science. There's a lot of science there, but it's also just kind of, throwing something at the wall and seeing what sticks for each person. We don't know fully what the right answer is for everyone, you know, for mental health. Cause there isn't, you know, there
1: isn't a one shoe, you know, fits all uh, approach here. It really is individualized. Uh, Jonah Hill has a really great uh, show on Netflix uh, about his mental health journey. And it's, he, he decided to, Basically, create a movie out of his experience with his therapist, and it's really fascinating. You should you should check that. I, out.
0: I watched some of it. I was falling asleep because even though on the podcast I go by Patty Rose, Rose was my mom's last name. Uh, oh. Stutz is my last name, so the movie is called Stutz, <laughs> and I couldn't. <laughs> yeah. And I was just like, "What?" Because even though it's not a right. super uncommon name in Germany or Austria, Hungary, then it, I, I, it's rare that I would see it in the states. You know, so uh, I started watching it because people were sending that to me. And I watched a little bit and then I fell asleep because it was really, you know, soothing and it, but it's great. It's great. I, I great. saw this clip with him and his mom where his, he was like, this is an open floor, his mm-hmm. mom and him and his therapist. And his mom was talking about her, uh, uh, perception of an incident and his perception of an incident and how different they are and they were both like oh that's super interesting instead of like no how, this didn't work for me the way i wanted it to they were both willing to i said this i say this a lot to my stepmom about heartache she's had with my brother over the years who also has passed on and i just said sometimes you have to remember that he has a difficult time seeing you as you're his stepmom like a possessive his stepmom and then you're also melanie right You need Mm -hmm. to remember that he struggles with being able to separate that you are two different things that you have two different roles and that in every situation that you have a role and you you know you have to do both of those sometimes at the same time you know and so it's really difficult i don't i thought it was really powerful yeah it's very good i highly recommend people watch it and i'm gonna have to watch it again but it's cool that there's conversations like this happening more and more. And, and I think that's really good. And I think that gets us, you know, we'll go back to talking about the city council seat. And this is one of the things I think is really good about, uh, you putting your name in there because, and we, and you can wrap this up first, but I think it's really good that you're talking about mental health, that you're doing a lot of work behind the scenes with it because that, I mean, we're going to talk about the issues that Eugene faces, homelessness, drugs, all that kind of stuff. Mental health is number one, you know, it's like, it's above homelessness. You know, and so, but before it's we wrap a common, that up,
1: the denominator, uh, and and that the problem is that we have it is not a local problem, and it, it, it's a national problem. Yeah. We're, we're last in funding in Oregon, um, in mental health funding,
0: which is in wild. 1975,
1: we had 7,600 hospital beds for the psychiatrically um, uh, needy, right? 7,600 hospital beds. Uh, We have 628 now for a population that's doubled in size. And our drug of choice that we've picked up is methamphetamine, which is a psychosis-inducing drug. So we have more people choosing a drug that's going to cause the very issue, the very beds that we need. And we have 90% less beds for what population we had 20 years, you know, 40 years ago.
0: Why do you think that is? Why do you think, I mean, it's because this is a a blue state, right? And so, I mean, historically, but why do you think that is that that we've...
1: Um, for a couple of reasons. One, on the national side, you know, it was uh, uh, the Reagan administration just completely decimated uh, mental health funding, um, and we never returned to it. Um, I think that a lot of people watched, frankly, watched one um, flew over the cuckoo's nest and watched the the horrors of how we treated people in in um, asylums and um, and how we treated people in hospitals and kind of recoiled, rightly, right? It was horrific. And so they wanted to get to a different system, but we didn't create the system, right? All we did was create an invisible asylum, um, and its walls are the jail, the ER, and your doorstep, Yeah. and any notion that what we have now is a, a, a more um, a sympathetic and less cruel system than what we had is is just uh, lunacy.
0: Yeah. Uh, I, no, I, I mean- f-
1: there's a gentleman who – I took a tour of the jail here in, in Lane County. There's a guy who in, – here in Eugene who cycles between the street, the ER, and the jail, and his – he uh, uh, has uh, schizophrenia, um, and his manifestation is that he tends to smear feces on wherever he is when he's off his medication. So inevitably he's going to end up at the ER, get him cleaned up, and then transfer him to, to the jail – um, where they'll medicate him at the jail because that's, that is our main source for, um, helping those with severe mental illness is the jail we've assumed the, um, the, the mentally ill to the criminal class, which is just the bizarre thing for me. But, um, anyway, so they will, they'll medicate him and he'll come out of his fog, right? He'll be lucid. He'll have conversations with you and he will say, I don't want this for my life. I want to have a kids and have a family and, and just be, be normal. But I leave here. I, I don't have access to the medication all the time. I, I go off of it and I just wake up here and on this horrible Groundhog Day repeat for the past 10 years. And this is the system.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know,
1: and I, to your point, we're a blue state.
0: Yeah. There you uh,
1: there's an old line. Show me your budget. I'll show you your values. I. This is not my values.
0: Yeah. Uh, I I, don't know them, you know, there's a I- there's a lot of examples of this. I mean, I think that with homelessness, uh, there's two things. You know, uh, one of them is the cap that was just put on on uh, 14%, right? It's a high cap. Well, the the problem with it putting a cap at all in some ways is because now that's what landlords are going to raise the rent, 14% per year, which is not going to be set for inflation. They're just going to be like, fine, if you're going to do that, we're going to do it every year. And it is, I mean... And then when we have housing, this, this is the role of government. Where does, where does it, where do we step in the rule of, of affordable housing or, or just property values? We have out of state investors that are coming in and buying up properties and then renting them out for the cost in like a, you know, San Francisco, or wherever they live. Right. It's difficult because we want to encourage growth and all that kind of stuff. But I don't know. I mean, we'll, we'll talk about that at the end, but yeah, sure. I mean, it's just, it seems like some of these things that are being done... Oh, I know what I was going to say. The, the decriminalization of drugs. It's it's completely... You know, there's reasons that we wanted to support this. And yet, when it was enacted, there's one thing that was written in that that's not happening. And it's the funding for treatment facilities. Because, right. you know, we were going to do... Uh, and drug court, right? So yeah. Most
1: people don't realize this, but for people who actually did want to get off of the of whatever that they were on, the only vehicle that would pay for it at the time was going through drug court. Well, if you're not charged with a crime anymore, then you can't have access to the drug court, which means the drug courts went away. Yeah. Um, and, and it just,
0: I, and it's, it, and that I, one sucks too, because it's decriminal- it a really bad idea. Yeah. The political end of it is that that's something that has just been attached to Democrats, even though it was voted in by the voters, you know, and, I mean, I'm sure that a lot of times it would fall on party lines, but you'd be surprised. Not you. But you probably know a lot. But people would be surprised by the fact that libertarians, I'm sure, supported that. You know, it's a—it's in Democrats that didn't support it. I actually talked about it on the podcast where we were against it. The chair of the Democratic Party at the time, Chris Wigg, was like, dude, no, 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 no. Look, this is not a good idea. You well, he know? works
1: in the trenches of it. I mean, he does exactly. more than, than anybody. I mean, he and and Patty Perlow were trying to ring the bell as best they that they could to to say this is this is a bad idea guys when the um, district
0: attorney and the and the t- chair of the democratic party are on the same page then that's a right i don't, and, I don't and, know her politics but right <laughs> you know right i um, mean
1: but back to um to, to to suicide and stuff so um the the way it is now um is if a really bad tragedy happens in somebody's life um someone commits suicide there's a murder you know whatever uh, the process by which you're notified as a surviving uh, family member is what we call second trauma, because the the people who do it aren't really, you know, all in. They're very sterile. Um, it's not a knock against them. It's a horrible job. Nobody wants to do it. Um, you know, we I've had three people commit suicide um, in my company, uh, or connected to our company since since um, I got started at another fatality, the one that was downtown a year ago. Um, she was our employee, she was going to her daughter's house, who was a former employee who just had a baby. And she was hit and uh, by a hit and run person who has had 30 moving violations, um, and a license revoked um, in the past, you know, 20 some odd years or so she never been on the road, um, didn't even stop Dragged dragged her bike um, all the way down the street. Um, she was called, uh, by the hospital. The whole conversation took about 45 seconds. It was just simply, your mom is dead. I'm terribly sorry. She's down here at the hospital. Can you please arrange to have her body moved, um, in the next uh, 48 hours? Um, if you want some numbers, we can refer them to you. It was just, you know, just destroying your whole life. Right. So, you know, when that happens to you, uh, you know, from firsthand experience, uh, it is, uh, devastating doesn't even come close to the word there, there just isn't a, a a handbook for what you're supposed to do
0: well just traumatizing um, i mean it's traumatizing. It,
1: it's totally traumatizing right um you know i had a woman whose uh, uh son committed suicide in his car um and he shot himself and for whatever reason he was moving at the time and so he had all his personal belongings in the one of the boxes in the front seat was some of his more personal older stuff including his baby book and she went into that car to get it um afterward I mean you can imagine the level of trauma that that causes right um she didn't know that there are services out there that will do that for you right that will make sure everything is you know that will remove any evidence of of what had happened um so when I uh joined the suicide prevention coalition I asked uh, Roger uh, who who runs it one of the most chipper people i've ever met in my life who run, deals in suicide every day um but i said what's on your wish list like what if you had a magic wand what would you bring to lane County that we don't have and he said a program called tip it's called a trauma-informed program and what they do is it's all volunteer runs like cahoots after something's happened uh, they dispatch out with 911 uh, when something happens usually it's a it's a death um, they learn about everything that happened and then they go with the death notification team. So, you know, when they're knocking on your door that the the police will answer the, the law questions, but then they sit with you and walk you through the next hour, day, week, month of your life. You know, they can sit there and say, actually, you don't need to make those phone calls right now. You know, that's, that's okay. You know, but if you're going to call your kids, this is how you can make that phone call.
0: Wow. You know, this is
1: what you can do for this. It's, it's literally a a guide uh, for you. And it's cheap, um, in Lane County, it's going to cost 40,000 bucks for the entire county for a year. Wow. And it's, it's not, that's what we should post-
0: I mean, I'm sure that that could be something that's raised by donations and things. I mean, and that people would be all over that. That's awesome. So we
1: got we, it. Yeah. We got it passed. We, we, Oh, that's we, happening. We, we, oh, uh, it took two years. Um, and, uh, it wasn't, it, it wasn't looking very good, um, for a while there, but we were on a phone call with a variety of different folks, kind of stakeholders. And there was kind of a push at the end to say, well, maybe we should just wait until the next budgetary cycle. And and the the, the leader uh, asked, you know, if I had any, any thoughts on it. And I, and I you know, was, and I was a little bit of a grumpier mood. <laughs> so I said, you know, we haven't had a new mental health program launched in Lane County in 22 years, and it's because of conversations like this. Wow. You know, it just we keep pushing it down the road. So like, if we're gonna be serious about launching stuff, then let's, you know, it's forty thousand bucks spread across yeah. like eight municipalities. Like, write the check.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. And then, you know, I mean, you had mentioned about, like, helping you. uh, What do you do right when when you get that news? I mean, I when my mom died, and and it wasn't suicide, but when, I mean, the first thing that I started doing was I called, because we had a joint cell phone bill, and I called Mm -hmm. Verizon, and I'm like, well, I guess you can cancel that. And to me, that was therapeutic, because I was, like, taking Mm -hmm. steps to, like, not clean up a mess, but like, I just stayed active. That's the way that I was raised. Like I yeah. was just, I need to stay busy, but each person's going to be different. And, and wow, I think that that's an incredible organization. That's an incredible thing coming to Lane County. That's good news. Also yeah, it will
1: launch, it'll start taking volunteers, uh, in training in January and they're, they're targeting to launch in March. In other words, basically starting in March, no other person in Lane County will ever have to go through, uh, what I went through ever again. Wow. Um, for 40 grand. I mean, that's, that's the best
0: who, who in elected of office should we give credit for? I mean, there's a lot of people, but you said some of the stakeholders, who is it that really helped that thing get through?
1: Um, well, Lori Trigger and, and Heather Buck on the, on the county commission, obviously, um, you know, we've, we, uh, that's, that's, there were always great people to kind of do some soundboarding off of, um, our police chiefs. Um, I mean, they're the ones who have to do the notifications now, Fair. um, the DA's office. Yeah.
0: Wow. Yeah. Cops don't Shit. get enough credit when it comes to, I mean, and, and there's, you know, there's definitely reasons. That's what, that's not what we're here to talk about. But, uh, uh so, uh, let's see, where were we at? You know, I think we should talk about the recall because we're, anybody listening, sure. we've talked a lot about mental health, which is great. Cause that's really the work that you do passionately. And I think that we're painting a picture of who you are and what you're passionate about. But I think we should talk about a recall and the growing feeling in Ward 7 that the council is not representing the residents. Now, I'm going to say the growing feeling. That's not everybody. You know, there's just a certain group, and I'm sure that there's people that are across a broad swath in that group that have different reasons for supporting the recall. But can you explain the situation of how this recall came to be and basically, you know, what got us here?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's the on-paper reason why... you know, the very easy to track reason. And then that's kind of the undercurrent. Um, and that's subjective. I mean, it's, it's just my opinion. Uh, other people may have their own. Um, sure. On paper, uh, the issue was uh, something called EMX, which is a, a planned um, uh, idea to, to draft uh, a new way of, of busing people up and down River Road. Um, it, it is a... Um, kind of stage three of a stage 10 process. Um, There's some federal dollars that come uh, to the city if they do certain things. And uh, L, it's kind of a combination between LGD and this in the city. Um, so folks didn't want what the potential um, uh, was going to lay out of the traffic would ultimately look like on River Road. And so they delivered some petitions to um, then Councilor Um And there was uh uh, kind of upset, uh, nature kind of upset feelings about how she voted to further the study and, and advance the project down to, down the line to stage stage four, um, and so a recall was 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 announced and signatures were taken and and uh, you know here we are and, it was, um, and they he, were
0: successful in recalling her. I think it's a yeah. dangerous precedent to set when you're removing someone from office based on a vote that they made because. That's what elections are for. You elect the person, and then if they you don't like what they're doing, then you vote as a citizen yeah. to remove them or to vote for someone else to replace them.
1: To me, the, the more dangerous thing was how the how the process went down because there's something called the SEL 350, and this is the, the document that if anybody files whenever you want to start taking signatures for anything, if you want to start a petition or a recall or uh, you know whatever you want to do, and it's a little box that you have to describe what it is that you're doing and that that has to be will be then be communicated to any voter that you're having the conversation with and it's 200 words long it's your limit and you have to be truthful on it and um that is so critical that you're truthful on it because um if you're not the whole system breaks down and the city recorder's office was supposed to check it for accuracy um and uh, that we were in a transition between the old recorder and we got a new recorder and they didn't look at it, um, and, and check it for accuracy in, in, the, in the sense of checking it for truthfulness. And their position was, we're not the truth police. If you don't think that it's truthful, go to court and have somebody overturn it. And that is a, that is the worst possible precedent to set because what that essentially says is I can say whatever the hell I want it about you, And if you're a working class person who's in office or you don't have a lot of means, you just have to take it on the chin. There's, there's no, the only option is to go raise $10,000 and go fight it in court. Yeah. And that, that is, talk about a class system uh, almost instantaneously. Right. And I mean, at the end of the day, if I go and get a petition to say, I want to go recall you, because you voted for X, Y, Z. Can I get enough people to, to to support that? Maybe, maybe not. If I go out there and I said, you know, I heard uh, he's a tax cheat or I heard he's a pedophile. Am I gonna be able to get enough signatures? Yes, yes I am. Right. right. If I, I can just lie about whatever the hell I want, right? So that's why that system exists because we don't want recall after recall after recall for every little thing based on lies because it was very easy to get the signatures right that threshold for recalling needs to be high it needs to be you have done something so egregious that telling people the honest truth about what you did created a groundswell of of supporters both at the signature stage and the verification stage and ultimately the vote to boot you out right if it's if we lower the bar to we can say whatever we want then all we have is recalls it's just we're just this is the new norm and that is the most dangerous precedent that we set
0: yeah, and I mean this is the same district that would cover West the Westland County Commissioner seat, correct? Like a part of it because okay. it's River Road, right? Yeah. So you yeah. see that uh, Ryan Seneca won, and Ryan had Seneca yeah. had gotten more involved was on the school board uh, in I think Junction City. I think I believe uh, yeah. you know. So they and and there's this growing just kind of pushback against government because they want to paint the picture like they're being the ones that aren't being heard from when it's, uh, authoritarian type tactics that they're using and, and, and dishonesty and misinformation, you know, they would
1: argue that that it wasn't a party thing that it was generally not being listened to. And I will say that, that I had to be
0: true in that had
1: solid Democrats at the door, solid DS who said, you know, I'm voting for the recall. Um, and, and so I think that it's the undercurrent of, of why we're here. Has more to do with um, kind of a a general unpleasantness feeling about where we are
0: um, as a city. As a city, absolutely. I live in, yeah. I Um, live in. I mean, at that forum that we talked about. Oh my gosh, the dist. You know, and it was at Alluvium, and the crowd, the people that were there. First of all, I want to give a ton of credit because there was people uh, that did not come from affluent areas of Eugene. You know, that just eloquent questioning. I mean, eloquent, thought-oriented questioning about... I mean, it was just incredible, some of the stuff that you guys were asked during that, and I was very impressed, you know? And so it was like these people with very little that have so much engagement, and that's really good to see. Now, that being said, I, I think that there's just this growing frustration across every belief system in this area that of Eugene that it's like something's got to give. This direction we're heading is not good. And so, yeah. you know, I mean, one of the things is is... Maybe looking at new leadership, you know, and on that. But I mean, that's what you're here for. You wanted to put your name in the hat. What is it that made you want to step up to this? Obviously, this is going to be a huge challenge because you're going to be. First of all, is it like a few months that you'll be in office before you then have to start cam- campaigning if you get seated? You know, because the appointment. be
1: the most scrutinized city council seat, probably ever. Right, and it's just a news person,
0: story. Yeah,
1: person has to turn right around um, and and start campaign the day uh, day after. They make their appointment choice on December 12th. December 13th, you're knocking on doors. Yeah. Uh, all the way up to May. And then if there's more than um, a few people who who run in May and you don't get 50%, um, then, then the top two go on to November. And then the following May, uh, you gotta run again for a full term. So this is a solid year or more that you're committing yourself to.
0: Yeah, so when um, there's a vacant seat, city council will then vote for anybody that's unaware, it, it, then we'll vote to, you know, choose the appointment to fill the seat. And I and originally intended on having you and Huella Oboa on. And then that's not the only applicants. Now there's like 10 and I'm just not going to have time, you know? And so the reason that I had you on is because you won the straw poll at the event that we hosted and because yeah. I was impressed and I've talking to friends of mine behind the scenes, I think there's a belief that you were probably, this is very, um, uh, Difficult to quantify, but you're probably the most qualified of the applicants in in what we were talking about. We believe that's the case. Sure. There's some great applicants, but uh, we'll see where the city council wants to go with it. The interesting thing about a group of people that want to recall someone. And like you had said, it, it wasn't probably done. There's people, it was across political lines and whatnot, but I mean, it was done by one group that was organizing it. That's, that's for sure. But that being said, the interesting thing is, is when you, what I've learned from doing this podcast, we were talking about school board, uh, removing, uh, if they remove the superintendent, it backs you up 18 months. You don't get back up to where you were for 18 months, roughly, you know, and also when it comes to removing, a uh, uh, someone in, like a, that holds the seat, then you allow that person that's now the, the replacement not voted by the city voted by the council now mm-hmm. becomes an incumbent in the next election and incumbents win at like 80% clip. So all of the, fr- <laughs> you know, it's, it's, I think it's going to be changing a little bit. We'll see yeah. locally, but I mean, it's an interesting strategy where it's like, so you think this town is, we'll just say right and left for con for just cause it's simple. So you, this, this town's too liberal too left and you want to remove someone from office. Now what you're doing is allowing the liberal majority to replace, to pick the replacement. You know, and I, I, I don't think that you fit that description of being somebody that's just one sided. No. You know, but I'm just and, saying.
1: And I, what I would say is, um, you know, I, the, to to be like objective, they would say that, that it wasn't about about party, and that it was. It, in fact, they maligned the idea that we should be bringing in, um, uh, uh, you know, a, a particular political bent, um, into it. Um you know i i tell people i'm a i'm a proud democrat um I, the, the first thing that um i tell people is is that the idea behind the democratic party the difference between national party and 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 what that is right so like Absolutely. It, 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 if you're a political junkie then you'll make that connection you want to make that connection but honestly all it is is a statement of values you know when i tell people i'm a democrat that means that I have a list of values, you're most likely to be able to guess, you know, for working families and for union rights and for teachers, I mean, right out of the gate, right? That um, just starts the conversation, but that doesn't end the conversation unless you want it to. Um, and that the feeling that I think that is, is going on in, in Ward seven is, is that are there going to be people who are not going to vote for me purely because out of, out of party politics? Sure, sure. Are those a good chunk of those going to be people from the recall? Probably, right? But the those are going to be the people that I'm going to be able to move the needle on, I, I would, I'm going to try to, but for me, it's about getting back to the basics. Um, and that's where I think we're, we're missing it in Ward seven, and frankly, around the city, like, um, in my decision to, to, to run, I decided to go and knock on 150 doors in every one of the neighborhoods in um, Ward seven. So I knocked on 600 doors. Um, and I asked if you take out homelessness, Um, drugs and transportation off of the list. What are the next things on your list that you um, are concerned about, right? So you take the temperature down, because you're not going to be talking about EMX, you're not gonna be talking about homelessness, right? What's the next things on the list. And it wasn't one particular topic, but it was definitely one theme uh, that rose to the top very quickly. And it was the, the fundamentals of what we expect for what we pay for in taxes. You know, uh, up in the uh, Santa Clara neighborhood, they, they uh, in the uh, all the alcohol streets, like Corbell and Chardonnay, and um, they built all these brand new subdivisions, which are you know great and beautiful. But the city didn't put in stop signs at four way stops, and there's no street lights, so people are craning into each other, oh, right? No. Because we didn't do that, right? So like the pothole doesn't doesn't get fixed. There's glass in the in the a uh, um, uh, uh, bike. Uh, a causeway over on River Road. The little things that people expect from the city, and thus from their city councilors, aren't getting done, and so they they feel like when they look at, at at the council, I could get with you on the issues that you want me to go with you on, but if I can't see that the most basic things are getting done, I'm not going to be with you on those things. Yeah, and you're not hearing me. Sure. Um, because you know, it's just lip I, service
0: at that point, is what they feel, service, right? And so, I think that some. Go ahead.
1: I was just saying I spent 12 years in Chicago. If you go onto the website of an alderman, and then go onto a website for a city council, they're totally different. Now, granted, they also pay their alderman about 90 grand a year, so you know maybe we should try doing that. Uh, and you get a, you, you get what you pay for, you know. Um, but nonetheless... And, you, and
0: real quick, you mean that because it's that. nothing. Like it, here, it's like very... City council nothing. gets nothing. And I don't it's, think people will understand that.
1: I mean, it's it's like a thousand bucks a month. Yeah. For essentially a full-time job. Yeah. And so look, you you want... As a city, you want a professional city council, then you need to pay professionally. Um, that's just the way it works. You know? I mean, count yourself uh, uh, lucky. You know, we only have... Uh, a certain amount of councilors here. We have, like, I think it's eighty, 80 aldermen in Chicago.
0: Wow, um, it's a huge so, city.
1: You know, huge city, right? But if you go onto the, the an alderman's uh, webpage, it's all about how can the alderman help you with whatever the city needs uh, that that you have a, a need for. You know, the leaves need to be picked up. The snow hasn't come by. My garbage hasn't been picked up. What? How can I help you navigate the city bureaucracy to get what you want done? I mean, is there a spot that says, you know, come learn about Dan and his background? Sure. But honestly, no one's logging on to the, you know, Isaacson uh, for City Council website for me. No one cares. I mean, like you know, I mean, they care about the leaves that are outside that need to be picked up.
0: It's just the podcaster that's about to interview. That's the only people that look. Right.
1: It's just I mean, so our 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 websites, uh, at least for me in Ward 7, I'm going to be building one that will be very much like that. Wow. The idea being that you can log into this uh, to, you know, Dan Isaac's council member, whatever it is going to be.com uh, and say what it is that you're needing from the city, what problem you're not getting resolved and you can open a ticket system just like you would for like tech support and it'll be public for you and me and for everyone else. Um, and so I can see that it's sitting there t- ticking off at uh, a week, two weeks, three weeks, whatever that hasn't been resolved. And so it's the onus is on me to help facilitate you getting through and getting that uh, at least some answer back. Right. Because it, it's frustrating when you just send an email off into the ethos and you don't get a response back. And it's like, OK, well, I'm paying taxes. I'm emailing people. I'm never getting a response back. And now they want this from me, whatever that this is. You're, you're not, you're not going to get an answer. It is answer to be no. You know, there's no trust there. So you need to get back to the fundamentals. You need to start getting that stuff down. And then from there build on it. um that's that's what um that's what i want for uh for 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 this area
0: yeah so i, I want to, to do i want to talk about uh you know accessibility of local candidates in a second we got a comment uh from uh where are we at oh from sarah schofield Uh, She says, Dan, get Ah. shit. Dan, get shit done. Hire him. Uh, (laughs) This is an easy one. We're not we're not reaching out to the voter. We're reaching out to a a small group of people. And I would imagine that they'll watch this. So hopefully, hopefully they take your well, I actually think there's some great candidates across the board. I want that to be clear. Thomas is one of my best friends. He's he's put his name in the hat as well. And so, I mean, it would be really difficult for me to tell him face to face that I didn't vote for him. So I'm glad I live in Springfield. But, uh, uh, uh but see, so. it's not
1: the, the, it's not the, the, she brings up the, the, the part that I think needs to be discussed a lot, which is that you're hiring someone to do a job. 100%. I mean, even if it's a thousand bucks, you're still paying someone to do a job. So put, instead of voting for a person, hire somebody. Yeah. Put on an HR hat. Yeah. And then, you
0: know, and, and, but you, you want. You had talked in the in the forum about accessibility and how you wanted to have uh, a time set where people can come and have one-on-one oh, discussions with you. Talk yeah. about why that why that's something that you're you're willing to open up.
1: So when I joined the planning commission, uh, there was no there was a little bit of an onboarding process, but the way it was explained to me was you're going to get emails from people, and it could be one email on one day and twenty emails on the next, and then nothing for a month. Um, read them. You know, retain the information, file them away, move on. Um, I came from a different world of civic engagement and constituent relations. Every single person who emailed us got something back from me, either a phone call or an email or a letter, especially during HB2001, which was highly contentious. Um, you know, my my detractors aren't thrilled with the level of debate and the you know full floor of defense that I have uh, of, of certain issues. Um, I think that's healthy in a democracy. I don't um, uh, hate anybody I, I disagree with, and when I would call people, my my purpose was not to change their view or to tell them they're wrong. Most of the time, it's to say, you know, what, what, how did you arrive at your thought process on this? Um, and this is how I arrived at mine. If there's some some symmetry we can get to on that, great. Um, but this is where I'm kind of coming from, and most of the time, I don't have my mind made up until um, I walk in a room. Um, and they can help craft that or, in, or help me solidify it, right? Um, but it became pretty apparent from the conversations I was having at the door during the recall that people weren't feeling seen. And there's a difference between being seen and heard. But if I could just solve that equation, right, the outcome still may have been the same during, during the recall, right? If the tables had turned and I was in office and they dropped off the same petition and, and um, I voted the same way, I don't think the fervor would have been as, as and the heat would have been as strong if people had a way to get in touch with me, um, sit down, put their finger in my face and say, I disagree with you wholeheartedly. And this is why, and I can say why I disagree with them. And they left with at least it's saying, saying, you know, I disagree with them, but he heard what I had to say and he acknowledged me, you know, and, and right now I don't feel that people feel like they they're being acknowledged and that. That is the most basic thing I can do that you're hiring me to do. Um, and if that just means putting in office hours together once a week, then that's what I'll do. So I'm going to bounce between the different neighborhoods. We'll pick a spot uh, and make it the same spot every week. Um, and a lot of people to come in and tell me whatever they whatever they're thinking, whatever their thoughts are.
0: Yeah, like a town hall style, you know, let me yeah. know. Uh, if there's any way I can help with that, because I yeah. would, I'd like to, you know, and, and I think we should
1: have more town halls. Like, generally, like host it. I think it'd be great.
0: I think that the alluvium thing that was something that I learned because I do think some of it needs to be remote. Some of it there's there's benefits to both. I know that some people don't have access to the internet or good enough internet or whatever, but there's also mm-hmm. people that don't have access to the time that want it to be on the internet. Like it yeah. could have been an email or it could have you know you know and so. Yeah. That people are busy, and, and and so I think we need to kind of find a hybrid model that works for everybody. Well, that's really good. I want to talk about the three biggest issues that you had said. I like how you said that when you went around talking to people. You said uh, remove affordable housing, homelessness, drugs, and transportation. What's the What's the fourth one? But let's talk about those three. You know, yeah. first of all, we talked about transportation uh, let's start with that because of the fact that that's what got us in the recall. At least that was the thing that people put their finger on about the sure. MX. I personally am a huge fan of the MX as far as what it's done in, uh, you know, I think that connecting Eugene and Springfield and, and whatnot, it's from the Springfield station to campus is incredibly improved with the MX. With you know, But sure. there's potholes and all that. And I think that we one of the things we can talk about, I think the roads built... Passed right, so that yeah. that's a continuation. Overwhelmingly, yeah,
1: overwhelmingly, which is great because that, you know, we started with a two hundred million dollar hole of of repairs that we needed, and we've basically been chipping away at it. And this was um, when this is over with, we'll have about a, the last fifty million to go. Um, but if you look at uh, where all those uh, road projects go, we have forty three percent more road project dollars slated for Ward 7 than the average ward um, in Eugene from that road bond. Wow. Um, so you could argue um, uh, that those dollars are needed because the roads are being used more. Um, and if they're being used more, obviously they have more wear and tear and more, and more need, right? So, you know, we did a study in the, in the city that was how many people were going to be moving to Eugene over the next 20 years. So we're 10 years in. And the, the thought was, we needed eighteen thousand units of housing because um, there were going to be about thirty-six thousand people moving here. And we are ten years in, so how'd we do on the projection? Well, we were exactly spot on. We we grew eighteen thousand people, and we built nine thousand units of housing, right on right on the fifty percent mark. The problem is that most of those housing was student housing, right, which doesn't help you if you're you know needing a single family house, right. Um, and so, part of the problem is. The next 10 years, another 18,000 people are moving here, and we need another 9,000 units of housing in addition to the shortfall that we already have. So, where are those houses physically going to get built? Right? Yeah. It's not going to get built in the South Hills. It's not going to be built up Coburg Road. You know, it's going to be built in two sections. It's going to be built in Santa Clara and Upper River Road as we build out of West 11th. That's where it's going to be built. And West 11th is a nightmare. Uh, because we have all—that's where we put all our industry. In, that's why we yeah. have the—that's um, you know, why we have the the noise vibration issue. Uh, that just became uh, before uh, the Zippo log issue before the uh, uh, city council, right? So if you don't want to live next to the industry that's that's going to be you know doing the force, you know third shift at three o'clock in the morning, then maybe Santa Clara is where going to be needing to go. So if you think the traffic's bad by Beltline by now, wait till you add eighteen thousand people here in the next ten years right? And every person that we can convince, not force, but every person that we can convince to use public transportation takes another car off the road, takes another option off the road. And I don't, I don't understand how that's a bad thing, a bad idea. You know, Um, I I will say that that the EMX plan itself is not finalized. I haven't seen one. I have never even received a briefing on it. Um, And when it comes up, we'll, we'll deal with it, you know, Um, but I've I've seen a, a, a an idea that someone was flo- floating by not too long ago about just turning the uh, middle lane of River Road into the the EMX. So you wouldn't have two two lanes. Uh, you'd only have it one way. So the bus would make one big circle, um, have to come on the Beltline, and they go straight down. So you wouldn't lose a, a lane of traffic um, on River Road. But I will tell you that you know the the biggest attractors that were against. Um, uh, EMX, were also some of the people who were against the, the Willamette expansion. And the Willamette expansion, when it all got said and done, only slowed traffic by nine seconds, but it reduced the average speed by 40%. Yeah,
0: and- I live in Springfield, and the Main Street Safety Project was scoffed at because people are unwilling to think forward. They're, and that's like, you know, we could talk about progressivism. People don't want change a lot of times. So they're like, I don't like this. I don't like this at all. But they don't have... The, they're not thinking about the logic about where we're heading. And that, I love what you're talking about with like, look at these housing numbers, where are those houses going to go? Like, that's just, and it's not the issue that you're talking specifically. I think it's that you're showing logic <laughs> that it's like, we actually need to be thinking about this 10 years down the road, not just a, a fancy quote.
1: Coming. Yeah. You it's, it exactly. <laughs>
0: and it's going to, and then we're no. going to be like, why didn't you guys do anything about this? Right. So, I mean, you know the Main Street Safety Project was was completely everybody was that was running in Springfield was like cowering about oh no I don't support that I don't support that and you know I mean it it takes somebody I live with, right
1: on River Road and it is a drag strip I mean we have I, I yeah. would love and I don't know how this is I would maybe I talked to Chief Skinner about just putting up a um, one of the speedometers so just to just track what this the average speed that the traffic is, is is on River Road I would bet money. Um, you know, I bet you uh, all the money in my pockets, or all the money in your pockets, that the average speed is about 20% higher than the, the posted speed limit. Uh, this is the second most deadly street in Eugene is River Road. We have a fatality every year. There was a fatality outside my house two years ago. Um, I work with the city to and and Arco, their our community organization, to to get a, a, a lit crosswalk being installed uh, next month there. But you know, it it, it is not. It's not a, by any means a safe, I have a five-year-old, I wouldn't take him on river let him No, I mean, I, and
0: I know right. I live in Springfield right. on Main Street. Off yeah, of Main no Street, way. it's the same thing. It's like people. Yeah. I don't like those crosswalks either. Like I, I know no, that I this is this was not the the resolution you want. I mean, I know you worked behind the scenes to get it done, and I think that's great because it helps, you know. But where you just people hit the button, they can't see that it says to walk. They just hit yeah. the button, and then they automatically go, and people get a red light, and they it's blinking so that you can proceed once it's clear, which is a judgment call that people can make because you know, anyway, we That's could be, we could be here forever. We don't have a ton of time, so we got to move on. But yeah. I mean, yeah, there, I mean the transportation stuff, I, I just like my takeaway from what you just said is that I like that you're using logic and that you're looking forward and that you're thinking about things. There's going to be things people are just going to not like that later on they're gonna be like, you know what? Turns out this is actually decent. So it's difficult. Uh, You know, how to, how to, we have to educate that's what I'm doing, what I do. Because at least we can bring people yeah. on where they're going to be like, I didn't think about that perspective. Instead of just reading a Register Guard article or something like that. Uh, Sarah has another comment. She uh, says, getting getting more shit done. Forward thinking is what Eugene needs, especially us out here in Santa Clara. I 100% agree. So uh, let's talk about fentanyl. And then mm-hmm. we'll talk. I mean, I don't even know what more can be said about housing. It's obvious that we need more housing, more affordable housing. You know, And, and I'm happy to hear that you're at least... Uh, alarmed with the fact that the only thing we're adding is 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 uh, student housing, you know that's not going to fix the problem. But I've talked well, on one, this podcast. Go ahead.
1: Well, one last thing on on, on housing, just as a quick, quick thing. So the part of the problem is, and I don't get me wrong, I, I I think government has its great place, but I think sometimes government can kind of screw things up by tra- by trying to do too much. It muddies it, right? I have a friend of mine who is a developer, and I've at, I, I've I had lunch with him, asked him why what's what from your perspective why are we here what what could we do from a city's perspective to to grease the wheels and get more more housing done and he said you know the the problem is is that if you had if i had two projects in front of me one that the city wanted me to build some low affordable housing and one a regular normal project both of you guys had three hundred thousand dollars in your account you know, wire me which project am i going to do he said i'm gonna i'm doing the regular one every day of the week every day i said why and he said that the reason was is that all the hoops I got to jump through to deal with the city, to build the affordable housing pro- uh, project versus the other one. He said, honestly, if the city was serious about it, they would just put someone on the project, made them the lead, let them deal with all the forms, all this stuff, and just hire me, the contractor to do contracting. That's what to my job it. is. Right. That's, that's what I signed up to do. I'm not a nonprofit lead. I'm not there to fill out forms, you know, and just pay me to do my job. And then I would choose more of those projects. So I think there's there's ways if we just turn the, pr- the prism a little bit, um, and start listening to to folks, uh, and again hearing what they're having to say, I think that we can kind of grease the wheels to get more things done.
0: Well, I think it's I mean I think it's important for people to understand too that you can't just you have to think about building stuff that taxpayers live in. So you have to have. I mean I know that in Springfield that there's the uh, Mohawk. I can't remember what it's called, but there's new middle, middle income, middle to upper income, uh, housing development. And people were like, what about low income housing? And it's like the idea, the argument is is that when you create higher housing, higher income housing, lower income housing becomes available because people that are, are going up in life and people are like, what about the people that don't have anything? And it's like, we have to do both. We have to do both because we have to have opportunities for tax revenue to pay for the programs that the people that don't have money, are going to be utilizing. That's just that's just the truth. Like people don't like to hear that because they don't like to think about the truth of the fact that that, you know, tax revenue is what funds a lot of the, the programs and it comes from the people that have, you know, the ability to be taxed basically and the people that don't have incomes. Some of it is, you know, you know, it's just obvious and people don't want to have that conversation.
1: We're very bad as as a as a species at uh identifying exponential growth of an existential threat.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So you know,
1: it grows very slow. We just we we don't we don't want to admit that it's there. Yeah.
0: So now drugs and fentanyl. Fentanyl is something I don't know how this is possible, but one of the things that I'd like to do with fentanyl is 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 it possible or I want to hear what you have to say and I'm totally workshopping this I have no idea how this would even look. I'd like to do a special on fentanyl I'd like to talk to different people in the community that are affected by what it's doing in our streets killing teens killing people killing people You know that
1: first responders who touch them
0: killing exactly. I mean, it's like it's similar to the stuff that they use in Russia to poison Putin's enemies, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and so but I want to change the classification from fentanyl being from a street drug because it's it's there's there's obviously medical uses and whatnot and i'm not talking about that i'm talking about on the street Mm. i want to change the classification because we've decriminalized drugs and i think we need to relook at that because i don't think certain drugs should be included on that list where it's decriminalized and i think fentanyl is one of them where it's like if you're caught with a lot of fentanyl that's manslaughter you're literally the intent is to poison drugs that's the irony of it is that people are using fentanyl to make other drugs more powerful and more potent. And they know that there's a risk, a high risk that the person that they give that to may not live through it. They only care about, you know, like you're talking I'm about. I'm right
1: there with you. I I'm, I'm, I've always been against measure One Ten. I think it, it's, it's really bad public policy. And we're seeing the effects of it um, every day. Um, but you know, the voters at large, you know, voted it in. So I think that, you know, we'll have to have a conversation with them my, my feeling is I don't want to punish somebody who has an addiction. I mean, I, I, I want to hold them responsible for, um, for treatment. You know, I'm not, I, I, just because you have, um, an illness, I mean, if you have, um, an issue with your kidney, you know, and, and you, God forbid you need dialysis, it's your job to get to the dialysis center, right? I mean, you gotta figure out a way to get there, right? Um, so in the same, in the same sense here. So if you have a, an alcohol affliction or a drug addiction, putting you in prison doesn't solve that. No. Um, and so I want there to be a ton of, of, uh, wraparound services that can help you provided that you want to take ownership in your own disease. Um, if you're supplying that, if you're part of the machine that, that facilitates, um, that, that, um, that toxic aspect of, of of our um of our society i want you buried under the prison
0: yeah Absolutely, because it's criminal. I mean, it's like knowingly, there's there's people that, I think it's manslaughter. I mean, there was always rumors when I was young yep. about acid, where they're like, oh my gosh, a sheet of acid, every hit is one manslaughter charge, which I don't think is true. I think it's it's it was definitely situational, because back in the day, it was it was all over the place, because right. it was the hippie, it was the tail end of the hippie movement in Eugene, so that stuff was there, and I saw 16, 17, 18-year-old friends, friends of mine that got arrested with LSD, and they didn't spend... We're like, where, who did you who did you read up? Because we didn't know. I personally don't know a lot about the judicial system, because I never had to get tied up in it. Because I was pretty fortunate. There was any things got bad, there would be a dust cloud where Patrick used to be. I'm like, I'm out of here. You know, well,
1: it's, you know, it's so, weird being, you know, I I'm in the marijuana industry, um, and it's it's weird because my I had never even <laughs> used marijuana with really? college in college in Eugene. In fact, um, my last job I had before I left. For Chicago, I worked for the puppet, uh, uh, Papa John's out on Division, and at the time- That's the marijuana
0: made... industry too, though. No, I'm just
1: kidding. Well, we, <laughs> we had a, <laughs> a manager who put a glass jar in the office, and sometimes we'd have customers who would pay us in cannabis, and then we'd just go put it in the jar, and our manager at the end of the week would make it disappear um, and then spread, it to spread the spread the proceeds around. Uh, that was my experience.
0: Wow. With so uh, usually I don't go past an hour, but I want to hear more about that. I want to talk about yeah. if you're down, if you're okay. Yeah. Uh, tell me about what it is that you do. You say you work in the cannabis industry, but talk about what I what's specifically that is.
1: Um, I, own a, um, I, I own a part owner of uh, two farms and a co-packing business. Uh, the co-packing business is in the Whitaker neighborhood. We've been there for three years now. Um, and um, I employ about 35 people. Um, it's a it's a good industry in the sense that it's, it's growing it's and some cheering. It's it's a bunch of startups. Um, it's a it's bad in an in, in industry if you're looking for stability or um, there's some bad people too, and the rules are just really antiquated. I mean everything is cash and there's there are problems. You know I I mentioned at the beginning of the program. You know that how I got back to Oregon. I. I I trusted a friend that I knew in college and um, was essentially lied to. And, um, and as was everyone who I work with, who gave up their lives in retirement, and I I gave up a really great job that was high paying and um, invested all of um, uh, my retirement and, you know, parents retirement and all that kind of stuff. And ultimately, it was found to be um, one big lie. And, um, by the time you know, you figure it out, you've already left your job and uh, they've already replaced it and you're going down the hill. So you're you got to figure something out. Um, So, you know, we, we fought a a pretty public battle um, in in Cresswell for um, to be open up a dispensary there. And um, I'm glad that um, the vote went the way it did because it it really kind of shined a light on on um, who we had kind of settled ourselves up with. And when we finally untangled ourselves from him, um, we had a meeting in May of 2018 to decide whether or not to just walk away um, or whether to kind of keep going. Um, and so for six years, five years or so, we've uh, worked pretty much without a paycheck to, to get people paid off. We started by $8.1 million in debt, um, uh, which is, you know, when you, when you don't have, you know, a, uh, a whole lot uh, to to kind of right the ship with and you're looking at that kind of debt it's it's pretty pretty dramatic um, but you know we did debt reductions and and uh, sold off assets and we've got it down to about two million now um, and um, what I told people is you know as long as I'm here uh, working every day uh, along with cat and and, uh, and Peter and and Pj and Larry and everyone else. I can't guarantee you're going to make money on your investment, but I'm going to do my best to get your money back, Sure, um, you know, and that's, that's hard because, you know, especially when you go into politics, because people will use that as a, as the, the basis to try to attack you for it.
0: And well, and it's so nuanced. Well. There's so much that goes into, it. I mean, there, you know, there, like you said, a partnership with somebody that's not, you know, wasn't being yeah. forthcoming. I mean, it's, just, I don't know.
1: I had somebody who who asked me uh, just yesterday they said you know that they were doing an interview and they they said well you know it, can we really trust that your intentions on city council are going to be for the people not to enrich yourself and I went um I, I haven't I haven't seen anybody how they can en- enrich um, out of um <laughs> out of city council. Out of city council that's
0: um, yeah like you're uh-huh. gonna be able to make like stock market backdoor deals and stuff <laughs> right. yeah
1: um, it just, it's hard because I, what I tell people is, you know, uh, I'm, I'm glad I made that decision in 2018. I'm still glad that we're, we're making do and, and taking care of the people that we said we're going to take care of a lot longer than it, well, I wish. But the, the result of that was, you know, pushing a friend of mine to the point where he needed to feel like he needed to kill himself. Yeah. And I have to live with that the rest of my life, yeah. you know, I, and it, um, you know, so would I have made the same decision, um, if I, if I knew everything? no, I would have walked. Um, everyone, everyone I knew told me to walk. Um, you know, but I can't, I can only wake up and and try to find the strength to keep going through another day. Um, some days are good and some days are really bad, you know, anniversaries suck. And, um, you know, I, you know, has three kids. They're wonderful, wonderful boys, but they're older and they go through some of their own problems and you know, you, you're reminded every day of, of a decision that you made that you're gonna be haunted with um and so um for me i i hope that my story is one like i said at the very beginning i am not an expert in the in mental health stuff but i am an expert in in my own personal story and because yeah. i was there and um it, it it's one that i think that people can kind of learn from if all you want is a bunch of leaders who Seemingly have never made any mistakes Have had smooth sales And everything went right for them Then you're just asking for a leader to lie to you um, And that's just not me um, So I'm, I'm willing to put my, my name forward and let The chips fall where they may
0: well, and, and to be clear we're not talking about The people on city council there's great people On city council and obviously those are the people that you're Applying <laughs> for, their, for their vote right. So uh, you know Randy Groves I had the honor to chat with him uh, A couple of weeks ago Gosh, it was just one of my favorite conversations I've had in a long time. And I pinch myself that I get to do this and get to talk to people like yourself. And I know that I shouldn't because we're just citizens. We're just people. It's just that I never saw myself, uh, doing something like this platform, you know, it's, and it's something that I can share stories and elevate voices in the community. Something I've always wanted to do. And I finally have found a way to do that. So this has been a pleasure like all episodes that I do to get to know you better. And now I know that I can reach out, uh, because I know that you're doing a lot behind the scenes. I mean, Sarah is somebody that I respect mightily and she's her exact quote. He gets shit done. So, <laughs> so, so I think that's a, a pretty good endorsement. Uh, D, you know, Daniel Isaacson, uh, it's been an honor and uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see De- December 12th is when the council will vote. Yep. But I think that you had kind of hinted at this and it's going to be the last thing we'll get out of here. But I mean, you would kind of. This is what people do in campaigns. They talk about when elected. This is what I'm going to do, and that kind of thing. But yeah. I think that your plan is is that it that it, you if you do get the appointment, uh, that you will be running again. I think you already had 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 because yeah. I know that sometimes with appointments it's a holdover, you know, and that is the case in in many cases where people are like, okay, you'll hold this position for a little bit of time, and then we'll have an open seat. But you're. Well, you, you
1: touched on this a little bit ago about how. The superintendent race, that the recalling of sets you back 18 months. You just have to. There's a momentum that you have to have yeah. in an office, and I, I don't think that it does a good job for the citizens of Ward Seven to have a really high turnover of every in this no. case six months. No, um, you know, you're whether you like Claire or not, she has a tremendous amount of institutional memory that nobody yeah. uh, who the council could choose is going to fill that role, right? So you've lost that, um, and that's going to take time to build that up. So Um, I can only hope that, that the people who are open to hearing an argument of someone to, to to help lead this, this ward, um, you know, can come from me and hear my argument and, and, and grade me on, um, the job they're hiring me to do on the next six months. You know, what can I accomplish in six months that I'm willing to commit to? Did I do it? Then, you know, we'll talk about the next six months and the next six months after that and, and just keep going on, going along.
0: Yeah. Well, good luck with everything and, you know, we'll see how it goes. I do like the idea. I mean, we haven't lost that completely because she's accessible. You can reach out to her and ask her. And then I hope that you will do that if if appointed. And then I hope you will also do what you were talking about with with having town halls and hear from the people that were siding with the recall so that we can find some kind of copacetic, you know, progress moving forward. So Daniel Isaacson, Isaacson, thank you so much. This has been a real treat.
1: Totally. Thank you.
0: Now I'm going to end this with a song This is a song from uh, one of my former guests Uh, This is uh, Brody Jansen With a song Overboard
2: I was drowning Before you found me You wouldn't allow me To fade away I was running When no one beside me Was constantly hiding I needed change Underneath, below the surface Afraid and always nervous You came and gave me purpose You changed me Sometimes we fall apart Sometimes it gets too dark I hold you close to my heart And float above the surface I'm I'm swimming in these thoughts of you Lately, girl, that's all I do Got me jumping overboard These waves keep crashing down on me A voice the only sound I need Take my hand and let's explore You keep my head above the water You keep me hopeful for tomorrow You keep me floating, beautiful motions Lost in this ocean, just me and you Stuck in my head over time Thinkin Just grab my hand if we're sinking Don't be afraid of the deepness Just keep breathing Just keep breathing breathin I'm sweating in these thoughts of you Lately, girl, that's all I do Got me jumping overboard These waves keep crashing down on me Your voice, the only sound I need Take my hand and Let's explore You keep my head above the water You keep me hopeful for tomorrow You keep me floating, beautiful motions Lost in this ocean, just me and you